All right, good morning, Mercy family. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Listen, um, this was a hard week, and I want to acknowledge that out of the gate together. Uh, it's kind of a lot of heavy news. Um, I think more than our hearts know how to process and kind of handle. Like, we are finite creatures. We can only can retain so much information, and we only have so much emotional capacity. And I just felt, and I think a lot of us felt, even though this was some things that happened nationally, it just, um, I don't know, it felt like I reached my limits. And y'all, all I can say is I had a really good time in God's word this week, precisely because I went to it with the weightiness of everything around us. I went to God needy. How do I shepherd our church? What should I say? What should I not say? How much do I make room? How much do I bring up? I mean, it's Memorial Day weekend and it's good to remember those who gave their lives to give us the freedom and secure the freedom for us to gather for worship. But there's also a real national tragedy that occurred. I have a fourth grader, right? And I'm thinking about all the fourth grade, the parents of fourth graders that no longer have their children with them. That's a tragedy. And there was some really dark stuff revealed in our specific denomination of churches that's got me uh, angry and frustrated. What do I do with all that? And all I can tell you is, it's about Friday morning, man, as I'm sitting there praying over our weekend, the Lord met, I don't know how else to say it, the Lord met me with the hope of heaven. Because what this day needs is hope. A hope of a day where there is, according to Revelation 21, no more pain, no more tears, no more shootings, no more abuse, no more scandals, and no more death. Because Jesus did not succumb to death. He had victory over death and reigns eternal and promises that we will reign there with him one day. And in the midst of present pain, there is hope. I want answers. And God says, no, what you need is the hope of heaven and the promise that I'm here with you now. And that's what we have, church. And we're going to talk about that hope as we go into a new series of sermons that we're beginning today. Uh, so if you have your Bible, I want you to make your way over to the New Testament book of Philippians, where we're going to be for the next um, several weeks. I was telling our staff this, this week, we're going to be in Philippians. And um, one of our staff, listen, I have discipled our staff in dad jokes very well. And one, we had a single female on our staff. So, you know, a great dad joke for that moment is tell them to flip their way over to Philippians. So um, congratulations, Sarah Wampler. You are getting people to groan. Uh, good job. Um, this series is going to take us right up to July 4th weekend. This is a big, uh, and I should say an important book to me, kind of holds a special place in my heart. God used this short letter, it's only four chapters, during a very difficult time in my life that brought about a kind of spiritual breakthrough that's unlike anything I've really ever experienced. Uh, at the time, I was in my late 20s as was a new dad, um, battling really intense anxiety, I was having panic attacks, and just kind of, man, at one point, I don't know, I just had one of those moments where I'm like, I don't know what else to do. But I know that God's word is living and active. So I just, in that moment of starting to freeze up, I just kind of opened up my Bible and just went like, all right, where, where's the page? I'll just see whatever is in this page right here. Now, I do not recommend that for a Bible reading plan, okay? Um, but we have those for you. But in a panic-drenched moment where I didn't know what else to do, uh, I knew God's word was there. So I opened it up and what, God, what it opened up to was Philippians. And I discovered a letter brimming with joy and confidence and hope. And I wanted all of that. 
I wanted that hope, especially. Now, this is not a series on anxiety or uh, depression or self-doubt. It is a series through Philippians on discovering and growing in the joy and confidence and hope that God offers you in Christ. And as you grow in Christ, you're going to experience, I believe it, God's breakthrough power in your life. I don't know how else to say this. I'm just hopeful that as we open our minds and hearts to this letter, God's going to bring about some breakthroughs. In fact, our whole series is themed after this idea of growing in Christ. That's what the Apostle Paul is after here in Philippians. Our writer, Paul, he's going to encourage the Philippian church to keep growing. There's more for them to experience than they have so far in Christ. And that's just, y'all, when you decide to live for Jesus, I just got, I got great news. He's going to change you. He's going to grow you. That's God's plan for you. You continue to walk with Jesus and you will not be the same person that you are today. That alone should make you stick like glue to this book, uh, to our time together in this series. In fact, we even have a little, uh, this little guide that our discipleship team put together that's really awesome that not only has place for you to do your sermon notes, but it's got a little study guide for each week uh, for you to go through to really saturate yourself in this. Because, you know, there's this old brand of Christianity. When I say old, it's as old as time. That's more transactional in nature. I say a prayer, you forgive my sins. And that's it. You don't grow in that kind of belief system. Jesus, that's, that's like what a customer comes and does. Right, I told you before, too often we treat God, like he's the guy behind the counter at Chipotle or something like that, just here for a transaction. The problem is Jesus isn't looking for customers. Jesus doesn't have customers. He is growing his followers. So if you've been a Christian, you you would say for a long time, but you haven't seen any change in your life, there's a chance maybe you've just been a customer. And since Jesus doesn't have customers, it's no wonder your experience with Jesus has been empty. It's time to grow up as a follower of Jesus, as a disciple. God is going to do the work too. That's what we're going to see today. Into somebody, grow you into somebody who's loving like Jesus, compassionate like Jesus, wise like Jesus, patient like Jesus, intentional like Jesus, empowered from on high like Jesus. Because when you decide, yes, I'm going to follow Jesus, when you live for him, he lives in you and he grows you up. He does the work and never stops, always until the day you die and you see him face to face. That's what we need hope that we will not always battle the things we battle right now. Like I need hope that I'm not going to always battle fear and worry. And I have that hope and I've seen God do breakthrough through it. You need hope that you're not always going to battle somebody's like approval and your need of it. That you're not always going to battle addiction. You're not always going to battle lust. That God is actually going to give you victory and grow you more into the image of Christ. That's what you need. That's what your family needs. Dads, I know we got Father's Day coming up on the horizon. What your family needs is a man who is growing more and more into the image and likeness of Christ. Those of you who are not dads yet, young men, high school, college age men, young men, listen, don't wait until you're knee deep in parenting. Start growing into the image of, that's what your future family needs. And if you never, if the Lord should see fit to keep you single, because marriage is surely not a sign of spiritual maturity, okay? Listen to me, there's a trial right now on TV that will tell you everything you need to know about that, okay? That is not, marriage is not necessarily a sign of spiritual maturity, but some of you is gonna remain single your whole life and your church family, your spiritual sons and daughters need to see the image of Christ in you. You need to grow into the image. We need to see more of Jesus. 
in one another, but God, we don't grow there by just being a customer of Jesus. What the world needs all around us is some growing Jesus followers who can represent the love of God and the hope of heaven in the darkness. So today we open our letter and we look at how to grow in Christ. Here's what we're going to do. If you're newer to our church, uh, what we do is just kind of read through a passage, especially here uh, when we're in one of these letters like this. We just read through it verse by verse. I'm going to make some observations for you. And then I'm going to come back around at the end of our sermon and show just sort of a couple of things we can pull out from the whole thing, how we grow in Christ. We're going to get from Philippians 1, 1 to about verse 11. That's my hope is that we get to verse 11 this morning. And my favorite question to ask you uh, as we open God's word, are you ready? Yes. yes. Getting ready. All right. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. Okay, stop. We got to stop right there. All right. Um, if you skip over that stuff, that's your fault. You should read the, all of it and consider it. Okay. Uh, first thing you see, this is a letter. And that's going to matter a lot for how we preach through it. Even though this book is only four chapters, because of its nature, we just got to go through it a little bit slower than we did um, the opening few chapters of Exodus. Uh, if you've been with us, we're just coming out of a series in Exodus. Well, Exodus is narrative in nature, so we can kind of story along with it. Uh, it's talking about events that happen, but a letter like this is mostly instructional, telling us about the gospel and about the gospel's implications for our lives. Now, I want you to immerse yourself in this letter this summer because every verse is packed with stuff for you, all right? Uh, Paul is the author. Timothy's kind of like his scribe. He's writing this stuff down for him. Timothy was in many ways a spiritual son to Paul. Paul's going to say that in chapter 2. Timothy was also with Paul when they first planted the church in Philippi. That's the name of the city, right? So they, of course, the Philippians would recognize this name. And at the time of the writing of this, I'm kind of getting you setting the scenes. We can understand this. Paul's in prison in Rome for preaching the gospel. So he's sending this letter to convey his hopes for them in case he never gets back there. And he calls himself and Timothy servants of Christ Jesus. That's going to go through everything we're talking about today. L the literal word is slaves. And in the opening salutation, you see something that's going to come up in verse 21. We'll talk about it next week where Paul's just like to live is Christ, to die is gain. I, I am his. He's not a customer of Jesus. He is a follower. More than that, he's a servant. He is bound to Jesus. And I wonder if that's the way that we think about being a Christian that we are just bound to Jesus. And where he goes, I go. What he says to do, that's what I do. Right? Is that us? All right, keep going in verse one. To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons, let's talk about the Philippian church for just a second. This is the first church ever planted in Europe. All right? So you, what you had is the Apostle Paul, Timothy, you had a guy named Luke, a few others. They set sail from modern day Turkey. They made their way across to the port city of Neapolis and up into the main city in that region, Philippi. And Luke is the guy that tells us how the church got planted. You can go over to Acts 16. I'm gonna tell you sort of the story version. If you wanna read, they'll go over to Acts 16. The first person they meet when they're in Philippi, the first convert to Christ on the European continent was a woman named Lydia. She's running her own small business. Shout out to our women living for Jesus in the marketplace. Acts 16, 14 says, they share the gospel and the Lord opens her heart and she believes. And immediately after she believes, she gets baptized. 
because that's your first step as a servant of Jesus. You get baptized. She's following Christ's example. In fact, we got somebody getting baptized today in our worship services. And if you haven't taken that step, we want to celebrate that step with you too. So Lydia gets saved, all right? And then, and by the way, when I say get saved, I know just using some old time, you know, Christian speak. Literally, God is the one who does the act of saving you from your sins. So the best way, the most New Testament way I know how to talk about it is you get saved or he saves you, right? Paul and the crew get thrown in jail shortly after this because there was this girl that was running around annoying them. She had an evil spirit that was able to, allowed her to predict the future, right? So she's going around and she's talking about how these guys are working for Jesus, which is good, but apparently, according to Paul, she was annoying them. So Paul goes over and exercises this demon right on out of her. Well, her owners didn't like that because she was their source of income. She could go around and tell the future and they would make money off of her. So they jailed them. Now, we don't know if this girl became a believer after that uh, and became a part of the church. Most say yes, but there's no certainty. Well, now Paul and the crew are in jail in Philippi. First day on the, on the job, right? Actually, it's about second or third day. But they start singing and preaching to the prisoners because they're followers of Jesus. Everywhere Jesus went, he preached the good news. So they're going to do the same thing. And as they're doing that at midnight, God causes an earthquake. All the chains that they have fall off. All the jail doors swing wide open. And that should be a sign, you would think, if you're in there, man, I'm praying, I'm singing, you know, I'm in here unjustly. An earthquake happens, the doors open, and the chains fall off. Well, God must be telling me to leave, right? That's what you would probably think initially. But that's not what happens. The jailer sees all of this. He comes back in, sees all of this. He assumes everybody has fled. He gets ready to kill himself because he's certain the prisoners have fled and he's gonna die for letting them all leave. When he hears Paul's voice say, wait, we're all still here. And the jailer can't believe it. What kind of people stay when they could run, when they could choose their own security, their own comfort, but instead they stay? Well, Jesus people do that. And the jailer says, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? I want whatever it is that you have. And he gives his life to Jesus, his whole family does, and then he is baptized, because that's what you do. I'm telling you, <laughs> okay, so this is not a church planting strategy that I learned in seminary or in my church planting training, right? I mean, it starts off familiar. The Lydia interaction makes sense, but then, you know, go and call out a demon, go to jail, lead the jailer to faith. Boom, church plant. That is not... Um, my experience. Well, since the, but that's the church in Philippi. And since Paul left and now writing this letter, they've raised up deacons and elders to lead the church. And the reason I spend all this time, about five minutes on all this, is that as, as we go through this letter, I want you to remember that the people that first got this letter, they had stories just like you and I have stories. Yeah. They're real people, real experiences with the gospel, really trying to walk with Jesus and figure this out. Their lives have been totally changed by God's grace through Jesus, and they are growing up as disciples. They're growing up. Verse 2, Paul says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. May I simply say, grace and peace are available from God the Father through Jesus Christ to those who believe. Paul loves to remind 
his churches that he has planted. And this is a common salutation right here. He loves to remind them of this. He hopes that the Lord brings these fruits of the gospel, grace and peace into their lives as they grow as followers of Jesus. Verse three, I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you, always praying with joy for all of you in my every prayer because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Now, the occasion, why is Paul writing to the Philippian church right now? Well, they'd actually sent him a gift to encourage him while he's in prison. And y'all, this is just, what we're gonna see throughout the letter is this is like his favorite church that he's ever planted, okay? He doesn't tell the other churches that, but it's his favorite, okay? You read the letters, all of them that Paul's written, and you'll see this one stands out. Overflowing with affection. You read his letter to the Corinthians, and Paul's like, y'all are the most messed up church in the world, which was technically true at the time. There weren't that many churches. They were the worst, all right, at the time. He's like, what is happening over there? But he loves the Philippian church. He's so thankful for them. As you, like, even as you see that, like Paul's just remembering them, he's thankful. You know that you too can go to God and just pray prayers of thanksgiving. Like you don't just always have to ask him for stuff. You can just be thankful for his blessings in your life. You can even go to him and be thankful for friends that you remember those good times where you were really close, but like Paul, you're now separated. Maybe one of them has moved on and they're living somewhere else and you can just be thankful. You can pray for other people with joy like Paul does. Why? Because when he, Paul thought of them, he couldn't help but think of how they, like he, they were fellow servants of Christ. They got it. So of course he says, I'm thankful for your partnership. Of course they partnered with him in the gospel. And by the way, I love this, okay. One Greek word study for you today. Only going to do one, all right? Over the course of this series, don't be surprised if I drop some Greek on you from here every now and then, okay? But um, that word partnership is the Greek word koinonia. It's, here's the point. Partnership is not a transactional term. The Greek word koinonia means fellowship or unity. It's actually the word used to describe the church often in the New Testament, they did partner with him financially. They supported the work of church planting, but it was an overflow of their fellowship that they had in Christ together. Right? It was an overflow of their koinonia. I love that. I want that kind of fellowship, that unity here, where deep unity with one another in Christ overflows in partnership in the advancement of the gospel. I see that, by the way, already in you. I love the kind of church that God is growing us into. This is how we're gonna keep planting churches just like we are this year. We're gonna keep planting churches in the years ahead through our fellowship, our unity in the gospel that's gonna overflow and we're gonna to be together like, yes, let's go take that hill. Yes, let's go take that hill because together we wanna to see the gospel go forward. Verse six, I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. All right, in your uh, study guide, this is your memory verse for this week. This is a favorite verse of scripture for me. It has layers and lots of hope. Paul talks about the, you see this day of Christ? This is often how Paul's gonna refer to the hope of heaven. He's recalling what Jesus said to his disciples that on a day, a day that no one can predict, the risen Jesus is gonna return as the triumphant Jesus, rolling in on the clouds of heaven in power and glory, and a trumpet's gonna sound, and his angels are gonna gather all of his followers across the globe and bring them to him. And on that day, we who he brings together will be with those who have already died and gained Christ. 
And remember the hope of heaven. That's what he's looking forward to. No more tears, no more pain, no more crying. He's looking forward to that day. And Paul's saying from this day right now until that day, God is gonna keep working a good work in and through you. I hope that gives you some encouragement today. I love just looking even at the, the nature of the verse. Who's the actor? It's not you. Who's the one doing the work? The one who started the good work in you. You didn't listen. You didn't decide to turn your life around and start living for God. I mean, it's like you did, but you didn't. He put that desire in your heart. And then you followed him in that. He began it. And he who got that whole thing started in you, and maybe it's just as small of a seed as you being like, yeah, I will come in here and sit in church for the first time in 20 years or maybe ever. That's him. You'll see it maybe later. You'll be able to look back and see how God was working all these things. He has started it. And the great news is he is the one who will carry it. He's the one who'll do it. Amen. Some of you are trying so hard to live for Jesus and I'm so thankful for it. I hope you'll find some peace that you just can't do it without him and you don't have to. He does it. What you'll find is what Paul's gonna say in Philippians 4, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Like that's not a verse for you to shoot, for you to do before you shoot a free throw, right? That's sometimes I feel like that's what that gets turned, in, turned into. No, no, this is all about following Jesus in the power of Jesus. Like he's the one that does the work. You can have compassion for others even when you feel tapped out because it's not your strength, it's his strength. He's the one working. He started it, he will carry it. He's never taking his hands away from carrying you. He's never taken a day off. He's never gonna be tired. He's never gonna run out of patience. He's never gonna slip up. He's never gonna burst out in anger at you. He's working, always carrying you. And because he is perfect and he is infinite, you can rest as you follow him. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. He's gonna carry you and keep doing that work that he has started in you. Verse seven. Oh, and by the way, the end of that, that's also what he's doing uh, corporately. He's going to carry that individual work, and he's also going to carry his church. Right, I, I love that. All right, verse 7. Indeed, it is right for me to think this way about all of you, because I have you in my heart. You are all partners with me in grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how deeply I miss all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Man, he, look, he loves them. It is good for him, this guy who is forever kind of bound to them because of the ministry they started together, it's good for him to keep them in his heart. And let me just pause in the middle of this letter, I think it's appropriate right here, and say something. This is how I feel about you guys, Mercy Church. It's good for a pastor to love his church. That when he thinks about his church, it brings a warm smile of affection across his soul. That's a good thing. I mean, we're still growing up for sure, and I am no Apostle Paul, all right? Lord knows I've fumbled this lead pastor thing several times. But here's the reality of present day. 50% of pastors quit the pastorate after five years. 80% don't make it to 10 years. 90% of pastors quit before retirement. If you don't know any retired pastors, that's why. It's because the relationship between the pastor and his church, it, it's weighty on both ends. But you, Mercy Church, have been incredible in showing me mercy. You've been incredible partners in the gospel. I love being your pastor. I'm glad I don't have 
Paul's assignment where he's got to plant and keep going and plant and keep going. I like being here and seeing the fruit God is bearing in you and in your families over time. And y'all know I'm not super great at syrupy moments, but I wanted to, to tell you that. I'm grateful for you. Um, here's what Paul prays for the Philippian church. Here's what he's asking God for, this church that he loves so dear. And I pray this, that your love will keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment. What I love about this prayer is he doesn't just pray for their knowledge to grow. He prays for love to grow and for their love to grow through growth in knowledge and discernment. This is the main way you know if you're growing in Christ, y'all. It's kind of the, this is probably like the part of the sermon I really want you to latch onto because it's gonna have lots of uh, implications throughout the rest of our time here. The main way you know you're growing in Christ is your love increasing. Is your love for God and others increasing? Not is your knowledge base increasing, but is that leading you to your love increasing? This is why our mission as a church is not to make disciples who know more. It's to make disciples who love God, love each other, and love our world. Do I want you to learn? Of course. I love learning. I run around here this morning sharing about the Greek word that I had before I was even giving it to you guys. I love it. And the wonderful thing about the scriptures is there's always more for us to learn. But knowledge isn't the goal. Love is the goal. Y'all, knowledge apart from love, it leads to pride and to harshness. It'll lead you to look down on those who don't know what you know. It will. And we could become a whole church of Pharisees. Certainly ain't what Charlotte needs. is a bunch of Christians who know a lot of facts, and so they look down on others who don't. That's not the way of Christ. Jesus says the way the world, John 13, John 15, John 17. How will the world know that you are my disciples by the way you love one another. It's love. And then discernment. Discernment is, this is wisdom. The ability to see and understand the world around you through the lens of the Bible and make sense of it. But that discerning is also done in love. Not judging others, but having the compassion of Christ on them while not compromising truth. Catch this. Having the compassion and love of Jesus while not compromising truth, one ounce, that's discernment. Powerful Christ-like love. Now, what does Paul want their love of God and others to grow? Why does he want all of this, I should say? Verse 10, so that you may approve the things that are superior and may be pure and blameless in the day of Christ. <laughs> Here's the deal. The more they grow in love through knowledge and discernment, the more they grow in love, the more they will be able to see and live God's way. Approve the things that are superior means to know what's best. And listen, that word, I'm glad that that's the way of translators in the CSB, which is the translation I go from, I interpreted this word this way, superior. Listen, that's a little bit of a trigger word in our day. And some of you, if you might hear it and think, wait a minute, are, are you saying that God's way is superior to all the other ways in the world? Yes, I just want you to let's put it out there. Absolutely, that's what we are. That's what the Bible is saying. And not only that, it's saying that God, to live any other way other than God's way is actually foolish and will lead to death. So am I saying, to say God's way is superior is kind of like me saying, if you were to walk up to a buffet table and you had um, like 
uh, Pastor Richard or Tim Williams, one of, my deacons, one of those two had cooked a brisket and had put it right there on the buffet table. And the other nine options are all toxic poisons for you. And we're to say, which one should you eat? Well, you should eat the superior one. I'll let Richard and Tim argue over who's his best, okay? They're both great, but you should eat the superior one, the brisket, not the poisons. And I'm telling you, that's the way we have to look at God's word. It's not only that it's superior, it is the only way that's gonna lead to life. And every other way, every other worldview and thing this world has to offer leads to death. And not only that, look, superior, Paul's also saying, it's not only between good and bad, like I just talked about, but also between good and best. Paul wants them to keep growing in love that is informed by knowledge to discern the very best way to apply the gospel, to apply the love of God to one another so that they will be pure and blameless in the day of Christ. Day of Christ again. Day of Christ again. Talking about them together. He's using the language he uses in um, the letter to the Ephesians where he talks about the bride of Christ and saying he wants to hold up the bride of Christ as a pure and spotless bride of Christ. He wants their love to grow in such a way that they'll continue to look more and more worthy of Jesus, more and more like Jesus until the church meets Jesus. It's powerful. And only Christ-motivated love can do that. Verse 11, our last verse. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. I love this. Paul incorporates one of his favorite metaphors to paint a picture of what growing is gonna look like. It's a fruitful orchard. And y'all listen, maybe take a little pressure off of you. Fruit's gonna take some time to grow, all right? Fruit takes time to grow. But as we devote ourselves to him, he starts to bear fruit. I can't help but think of Psalm 1. Blesses man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked or stands in the seat of scoffers, or sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that bears its fruit in its season. As you give yourself to growing in Christ, to planting yourself by the stream of living water, y'all, God is gonna bear fruit in you, in your family, and in our church. He is going to change us. He's gonna change us. So these first 11 verses that we just walked through, let me take the last couple of minutes and talk about what it means for us over the course of this summer. How do we grow up in Christ? All right, let's lead us to like our, our application. How do we grow in Christ? I'm gonna give you three, maybe four ways that we grow in Christ coming out of this passage. The first comes from verse six. God does the work. So just go to him. It's super simple. All of these are gonna sound relational in nature. God does the work, so go to him. We need to get a lot more familiar with daily dependence on God. I think our propensity towards independence and self-sufficiency, we don't realize how much that stifles spiritual growth. There is a desire. Maybe it's just me because I'm an achiever mindset kind of guy, but I think it's in a lot of us to figure out the formula for spiritual growth and then run the play so that we have control over it. So we give a little, do a little prayer, read a little Bible, give a little money, boom, growth. The problem is, apart from Christ, we can do nothing because he's the one that does it. Paul says at one point to the Corinthians, right? He says, listen, he's the one who planted some seeds, Apollos watered, but God is the one that gave growth to that church. If we're gonna grow, it is through humble, desperate dependence on God daily. Give us this day today 
our daily bread. We got to come to him that desperate that we need you today, God, that we are going to starve apart from you. God, meet me today. I need you today. I'm dependent today. Thank you that you do the work. Would you do the work in my heart and my mind today? I don't want to live off the fruits of that time that I went on that mission trip 20 years ago. No, I want, to, I want you to meet me and sustain me today. All the fruits of the Spirit, you cannot like strain them into existence. A tree can't sit out in the desert with no water and just start popping out apples. You do not eat that, okay? Like, it's weird. That's not how it works. It's got to be planted by streams of water. And you got to come to God for that. That's the first one. Go to God. If I could, man, nothing else came out of this series and came out of, like I've said before, my ministry in this church, it will be you and I together as a church body each morning or whenever it is during your day, but a daily discipline, just go to God. God, I need you today. Here's the next one that we see. Take a step in gospel fellowship of the local church, in the gospel fellowship of the local church. Paul has seen the evidence of the Holy Spirit alive in this church through, I told you, through their koinonia, through their fellowship with one another and with him. They are bound together in their celebration of who they are in Christ. The same thing that unites us uh, in the celebration of baptism is the same thing that unites us around the communion table. That same thing, the love of God for us, it unites us in mission. This is the nature of gospel movements. A group of people that are growing in their love for God together and they're so excited about what God has done among them that they're inviting others to get in on it. They want others to have what they have. That's gospel partnership. So what's your next step in that? You hear us say all the time around here, we wanna help you take your next step. What's yours? Man, I want, I want others to have this gospel fellowship that I have, so I'm gonna take a step. That kind of, that kind of spirit is contagious. There's a the theme of our, we've got City Project starting this weekend, which is our sort of summer mission trip kind of thing, but it's for college students where they come here for about five or six weeks, they get theological training, and they get exposure to God's work around the world. The theme of their mission this summer is don't live for yourself. Because they're like, I just want a next step where I'm a part of this koinonia going out for the sake of the gospel, going out for seeing, helping to see others come to know Christ. Just write it out as a prayer. What's my next step? Take it, use your notebook. What's my next step, God? Show me my next step in gospel fellowship and see what God unlocks through that prayer. Maybe that's membership here in this body. God's given you a spiritual gift if you're in Christ and that's to be used in the local church. Could be like Paul, God's gonna send you somewhere else where the gospel's never been heard. Could be committing to tithing because you've never done that before and you've been holding on to that one thing. You're saying, God, no, if I'm gonna depend on you, everything I have is yours, right? Listen, here's the last one as we close up. Get to know God. I told you all these are relational in nature. Go to God, right? Participate in the fellowship and get to know him. As we step out into summer together this weekend, spend your summer getting to know him. Paul prays their love will grow in knowledge and discernment as they get more familiar with God. As they get to know God, they will grow in their love for God. They'll grow in wisdom. They need to follow God in their present age. So get to know God. Remember, he's a relational God. Spend time with him. Read your Bible, yes, like I said, but spend time with him in prayer. Read Philippians with us this summer. If you read it every week, 
You know, actually, you could read this letter every day. There's four chapters, all right? That's like 96 tweets. I mean, I don't know what it actually is. I'm just like, you, can, you could read it every day. But even if you read a chapter a day, that's still going to be 12 times reading it through over seven weeks. Get to know God and do it with others. Participate in the body of Christ. Man, I promise you, he is going to carry through in you the work that he has started. That is not just because Pastor Spence has seen that happen in his own life and the lives of others. That's true. But that is a promise from God in scripture. His infallible and errant word that has always been true and always will be true. He's going to keep working in us, Mercy Church. I can't wait to see what he's going to do through, through us as we devote ourselves to him, not as customers, but as followers. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you so much for your word. That we can meet you and see you here in your word. What a, what a gift. In fact, let me give you a chance at both of our campuses just for a moment to pray. We do this often. Give you a chance just to respond. Take in what you've heard and respond and ask the Lord. Lord, what's my next step? What's my next step, God? Maybe it's responding because this, the gospel message that I've shared today, this idea that you are, each one of us, we are sinners who have run from God, but God in his grace has made a way for us to be reconciled to him. And that's through the death of Christ paid as a payment for our sin, through the resurrection of Christ, declaring victory over death. Maybe you need to respond and receive that today. You do that now. God, I, I believe I need Jesus. I'm a sinner and I know I, I need the salvation he offers. You respond to him. Christian, maybe you say in light of the gospel and the love of God for me, I want to grow in, in loving the God who loves me. God, what's my next step? And commit that to him in prayer. Maybe that prayer starts today. God, we want to grow into the image of Christ. We want to be shaped by Christ. So help us. We are servants of Jesus. We're yours. We're not customers. We're servants. We're yours. Use us how you will for your glory in our day. Oh, we love you. We celebrate your great love in Christ's name. Amen.